Hey everyone, I hope you're all doing well. My name's Philippa, if we haven't met before, and I'm part of the team here at St Paul Shadwell. And I don't know about you, but I have been loving this series, which we've been calling The Harbour of Hope. And if you're just joining us for the first time today, you can go back and check out the ones that you've missed. But we've been using the book of James to help us to think about the church, really, the, the harbour of hope, where people can wash up on the shores and find place to rest, refuel and restore. And we've been asking the question throughout this series, what happens in the harbour of hope? What kind of people is it filled with? And we've talked, haven't we, about all sorts of things, about being a people filled with joy, people who act with justice and mercy, people who speak words of truth and encouragement to one another, people who seek wisdom from God and who look to counterculturally submit to God's desire and plan for our lives. This harbour of hope is a radical place full of incredible people. Not because of anything we have done, but because of the people that God is changing us into by his grace as we follow him more closely. And we're beginning to close off our series now as we find ourselves in the last part of chapter five. Today, I wanted to focus on patience. So let me start off by reading to us from James 5, starting at verse seven. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I pray. Lord, we don't find it easy to be people who are patient, especially in the middle of unrest and uncertainty. So Holy Spirit, as we explore this together now, would you help us to hear what it is you're saying to us now, Lord, that we might be people who are changed by you more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, patience is a tricky topic, isn't it? I don't know how many of us would hold ourselves up at having nailed patience. And especially in our instant world where we can get things delivered to our homes within minutes, where we can get any information we need in the palm of our hand within seconds, where we struggle to wait anything more than two minutes for a tube. It seems like an even more impossible topic to grasp together. And here, James isn't just telling us to be generally patient. He's speaking to the first Christian community about what it means to wait for Jesus to come back, to wait for the kingdom to come, to wait on the promised culmination of all things, to have patience for a moment when they will no longer suffer persecution or hardship or suffering. And we can relate to some of that to some extent, can't we? You know, we look around our world right now at all of the challenges we see people facing. And I don't know about you, but I just think, when are you coming, Lord? When will this all end? How can it be like this? And, you know, even closer to home in Tower Hamlets, where way less than 1% of people go to church. I'm impatient to see God do something, to see revival, honestly, that we might be working to see the final 1% of Tower Hamlets come to know and love Jesus, not over 99%. James's challenge really is a simple one, but it's also a tough ask. James tells us to be patient until the Lord's coming. So I wanted to just take a few moments now to think together about how on earth we can expect to do that. 
And I think James gives us loads of practical help with that in these few verses. So the first thing James is telling us to do is to sow in the farm. I absolutely love this image that he gives us. Let's read it again in verse seven. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. When we think about the call to patience, it can make us feel like we need to be inactive, that we need to just sit and wait. But this image of the farmer waiting patiently isn't that. I don't claim to be a farmer expert myself, but I know even from the small bits I've learned off the wonderful Ronnie and Janet who helped to tend our gardens on the site at SPS, that gardening takes a lot of patience, but it's hard graft. I often hear them talk about digging plants or shrubs up, moving them to more optimal parts of the garden, pruning them and tending to them. And still, no one really knows for sure what will happen to them. They sow seeds, they plant bulbs and seedlings, but they have to wait on the sunshine and the rains to determine what actually blooms. They wait on the correct seasons to plant the correct things and they expect the plants and flowers to grow in other seasons. And this is what James is saying to the church, that we're called to be actively patient people, planting, sowing, pruning and toiling whilst waiting patiently for the Lord to provide the environment for fruit to grow. Last week, the team and I went over to HTB for Assemble, which is a day where we can get together with other staff teams from across the network to encourage one another and to hear from the Lord together. And part of what Amy or Ewing, a fantastic theologian and apologist, was saying to us was exactly this, that when we're in the rhythm of cultivating, it reminds us that we don't live in a perpetual season of the same thing. And we certainly don't live in a constant harvesting season. And so much of how the world is set up for our constant consumption makes us forget that, doesn't it? You know, we can buy strawberries and raspberries at any time of year. But what James is saying to the church is that we get to play our part in sowing the farm. But we know too that our God is the one who sends the rains and the seasons that we wait for. I want to encourage each one of us today that you might feel like you've been sowing into a person or a situation. You might have been praying for an area or a nation, waiting for breakthrough to happen, and it feels like nothing is ever going to shift. But there is a season coming where we will see fruit, and the seeds that you are planting, the soil you are toiling, is not in vain. We can be patient, waiting on the Lord to come, because we know that at the right time and in the right season, he will bring the rains and the sun, and it will shine on the right places that we might see his kingdom come. And God's really shown Simon and I this as we became parents and as we raise our kids. You know, we can read all the Bible stories, we can talk about God, we can bring the kids to church, we can pray with them and for them, we can surround them with Christian family, and those are all the things that we have the privilege of doing as their parents. But it's God the Father who loves my kids even more than I could even imagine loving them. It's God who will ultimately speak to them who will guide them, who will lead them, draw them to himself. We sow the seeds and we trust and wait patiently for God to bring the autumn and spring rains to see salvation spring up in their hearts. And it's that kind of radical, active patience that James is challenging the church, the harbour of hope, to have. So James challenges us to sow the farm and he also challenges us to stand firm. 
you know, if we think all the way back to James 1, right at the beginning of the series, you might remember James's incredible encouragement and challenge to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And what James is saying is that God is doing this work in us already. He's doing the work of moulding us, changing us to become people who know how to stand firm and wait patiently for him. And incredibly, our God, we know, is a God who is in the business of redemption. And so what James is reminding us of is that God uses our suffering, our trials, our pain, our angst to produce perseverance in us, to produce this patience in us that James is calling us to. There is a purpose behind our suffering, not that God's caused it, but that he's faithfully in it with us. John 15 is a passage we often come back to as a church and I'll remind us of it again now. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. To use another gardening analogy, Jesus promised that the father will be pruning us He is using everything that feels painful, everything that gives us anxiety and worry and seems hopeless, everything that confuses and disorientates us, he's using it for his purposes. And his purposes are that we might become people who stand firm and wait patiently on him, knowing and trusting that he is going to return and make things new. Amy or Ewing again last week put it like this, the tender hand of the gardener is to be welcomed or we can be left unfruitful, strangled by weeds. I wonder if you can think back and identify some times in your life where God has grown and changed you. When I look back at my life so far, it's been in some of the real challenging moments that I felt God draw more closely to me. And not just that, but change me more into the person I know he's calling me to be. And when we trust him, When we allow him to do that work in us, he cultivates something so good, so beautiful. He is a tender and loving gardener who we can trust. Thankfully, and praise God for this, we don't have to do this on our own. In the Harbour of Hope, we are called to be people who sow the farm, who stand firm, but also who support our family. God has given us each other to do this stuff with together. I don't know if you've ever been on a long car journey with your mates or in your family, and you get in the car, you start off all excited, the car's packed, the snacks are ready, you've made a great playlist. It's gonna be a long journey, but you're ready and it's gonna be fun. But then maybe you hit traffic and you try and take a diversion and you get lost. And you try your best not to get grumpy with the driver who clearly hasn't listened to your excellent navigation. Or maybe the kids are bickering in the back and you're less tolerant of the Encanto soundtrack now that you're five hours into the journey. And someone needs a wee in the car, but you're secretly trying to hold out for a services with a McDonald's rather than a Burger King. You know, James knows that when we're together, we can get grumpy with each other whilst we wait and try to be patient. We can look at our brothers and sisters and get frustrated that they seem to be going off in a different direction to us or they have different priorities to us. They might worship differently or have different ideas about what God is like for them. That can make us really grumpy. 
But James says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. So instead, what should we do? Well, James says, let's look to the prophets, those heroes of the faith that we have in scripture as an example of people who've been blessed as they have persevered. In Hebrews 12, it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, by the stories of hero of the faith in scripture who've tenaciously followed after God's heart and not only by them, but also by each other. This is the point of the church, that as we sow seeds and wait patiently for God to grow them, as we give ourselves over to him to allow ourselves to be shaped and pruned through the difficulties of our lives, God has given us the gift of each other. We get to do this stuff together with one another. We get to help each other to lift our eyes off ourselves and to call out in each other what we see God doing. We get to cook meals for each other when we're sick, to pray with each other when we're struggling, to sing and celebrate together when amazing things happen. This is family. The harbour of hope is family. And it's so imperfect in so many ways. James has to remind us not to get grumpy with each other. But my goodness, when it works, it's so, so good. The church is such a gift. And we get the privilege today to be people who God calls to be a harbour of hope. That when others come in, and they will come in, people wander in all the time. They'll see a group of people who are sowing faithfully into the farm, waiting patiently on the Lord to come. That they'll see a group of people who are standing firm in our suffering and trials, knowing that God, our Redeemer, will use them for his good. And they'll see a group of people who support their family, who know what a gift we are to each other, who work hard not to grumble at each other, but to call out the goodness of God that we see in each other. That we might be reminded of the Lord who is full of compassion and mercy every day. Amen.